Time once again for Second Helping, your number one podcast when it comes to content related to the top conference in all of collegiate athletics, that of course being the Southeastern Conference. Second Helping brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolatier, the champions of chocolate, our favorite location in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Give them a call at 205-752-0211. No matter where you find yourself in or outside of the SEC footprint, Peterbrook Chocolatier can help you out with those holiday orders. Make that holiday extra special this time around. 205-752-0211. They'll get you taken care of. Second helping, as always, coming to you. From the Southern Alehouse Studios, Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, joined by my good pal and also Heisman Trophy voter, Brent Beard. Brent Beard, of course, the college football analyst for First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida. And Brent, no shortage of previewing <laughs> on today's program. And also, uh, maybe we'll start with the 2022 schedule drop from a couple of nights ago there on the SEC network. What were a couple of things that maybe stood out to you, Brent, from that news on Tuesday night? I think first of all is how bad most of the September scheduling was uh, that I think the league decided, well, we're going to get all the uh, uh, non-Power 5 opponents out of the way here. Uh, now, obviously, Alabama and Texas, uh, certainly a game that uh, was eye-catching. Uh, and, uh, Trev, I give Matt Hayes credit for this. And this is something that when Texas know you get in the league, that I know they want to work on. But his tweet summed a lot up that Florida will make their third trip to College Station in 10 years. But Georgia has yet to play at Texas A&M. Yeah, there's something wrong with that. Absolutely. I don't know what the formula is. Uh, you can see it maybe if it was even three to one, yeah. you know, with that game coming up. But for Georgia to have yet to make that trip, that's that's uh, jaw dropping in is. a lot of ways. And, you know, I don't know if going to nine conference games is something that would be a magical elixir when it comes to that. But there's got to be a better way, Brent. Oh yeah, there's no question about that. Um, and, and Trav, you would you would think as Image Conference uh, and, and as conscious as the SEC is about uh, particularly the upper echelon of the league, you you would think that would be a way to get those teams together. For instance, you and I were at the Alabama Florida game in Gainesville, and Trav, that's the first time Bama's been in Gainesville in ten years. Well, and even if you try to sort of go on the other side of that Georgia-Florida argument where, say, Texas A&M is involved, it's not like Georgia has made a lot of trips to even Tuscaloosa. No. The trip last year year was the first, I believe, since 2007 for Georgia. Is that correct? So it's not like you can go on the other side and say, yeah, Florida's going to A&M for the third time uh, in 10 years. But Georgia has been to Tuscaloosa three times. That's not the case. No, no, no. And I, and that's something, uh, and Dennis Dodd mentioned this earlier this week. He said uh, that once OU and, and Texas 
enter the league. And right now, we may be guessing, since they weren't mentioned in, tw- in this 2022 schedule, that it very well may be 2023. But what Dodd said, Trav, is the league's goal, and hopefully they'll meet it, is instead of having, say, uh, an Alabama going to Gainesville over 10 years, that that would happen at least every five years. Yeah, and again, using Georgia and Florida here as some you know, prime examples of what's wrong with SEC scheduling, even the trip by Georgia to Tuscaloosa last season didn't give the dogs as many as Florida's been to Tuscaloosa no. since no. 2010. Florida's even been to Tuscaloosa more since 2010 than has the Georgia Bulldogs. Florida made the trip in 2010 and then made the trip in 2014. So, wow. Yeah, when you really break it down to just those two teams in the East, some glaring discrepancies, I would say, jump out at you pretty pretty quick. It's second helping your number one choice among podcasts related to the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, that, of course, being the Southeastern Conference. Brett? You ready for another big weekend of SEC football action? I guess we only have one team with a bye week this week. And would that happen to be, would that just happen to be, Brent, the Ole Miss Rebels with that much anticipated contest at Tuscaloosa uh, there just a week away? And how long has Lane Kiffin been scheming for this game, <laughs> Travis? I, I I know he'll say, well, well, we'll begin Alabama work next Monday. I think sure. we know. I think we know better, don't we? Oh gosh, Lane is ready. And you know, Lane, even if it's just to troll his old boss after that Florida game, you know, Lane, probably the first play of the game, and we got plenty of time to get into this next week. You know, Lane will probably run a little option. You know, at that Alabama defense, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. seeing as how much trouble. Hey, I would too. I would too. If I'm Southern Miss this week, I got some option in for Alabama after the uh, effectiveness that Florida had with it down in Gainesville last Saturday. But looking ahead to this week, that early window looks pretty good, Brent. When you got LSU going to Mississippi State for a noon Eastern kickoff, you've also got a very interesting non-conference affair between an SEC team in Missouri making the trip up to Chestnut Hill. You know, there are some road trips where I contract what I like to call road trip envy. I'm envious <laughs> of Missouri fans this week. Getting to go up to Boston with this fallish weather kicking in like it has, Brent, the last couple of days. That should be a fun one for the Missouri uh, fan base. Uh, you may have some leaves turning up there at this yes. point. So, uh, that, that, and, and Missouri needs a win. Uh, Connor Basilag has played fairly well. Tyler Batty has too. That defense has struggled. Now, now one thing that has happened to BC, their quarterback, Phil Jersevic, uh, yeah. has broke his hand. He's out for the year. Dennis Grossel is going to be the backup uh, in the game. And Boston College, frankly, travels on a bit of a roll undefeated at this point. Uh, I'm I, I'm just curious how uh, the, how a backup quarterback will do against that Missouri defense, which also has struggled this year. Yeah, Zerkovic's replacement threw just 13 passes, I believe, against Temple last week. So if you're that Missouri defense, 
get ready for a lot of the run game. BC defensively pretty stout. I'll tie this thing all the way back around to the Southeastern Conference, even where BC is concerned. Brent, you surely remember former Alabama defensive lineman Thomas Rayum, right? Big oh, Thomas Rayum blocked the yeah, field goal against Penn State in 1989 yes. up in Happy Valley, preserving at the time an unbeaten run for Bill Curry's team in 1989. Well, his son, TJ Rayum, is the starting nose tackle for Boston <laughs> College. Had a sack last week against Temple. Wow. So we can even bring it all the way around where BC is concerned. Yeah, you know, Missouri actually – a point-and-a-half favorite, certainly the quarterback situation at BC coming into play there, but it should be a very physical, physical affair between these two. And again, very much road trip, MB, not only because of the football and the weather <laughs> and you know the cultural opportunities in the Boston area. You know who's in town taking on the Red Sox tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday, or this weekend in general? The New York Yankees. You got Yankees, Red Sox at Fenway, Brent, and then you got the college football at Chestnut Hill. And uh, is there any chance, Trav, that Mac Jones and the Patriots would be home? You know, that's a a great question, and I'm thinking there's a good chance they would be because uh, they were on the road last Sunday in Gotham taking on on the uh, New York Jets. And you know what? Absolutely. The Patriots are home Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. So you could go Red Sox Yankees Friday night, Missouri and Boston College on Saturday. And then you got the Saints and Patriots on Sunday if you want to catch a little Mac Jones. I'm not sure if Missouri fans are all that interested in Mac Jones, but you could catch it on your way out of town if that's what you wanted to do. So there you go. Missouri at Boston College, again, an early kickoff, noon Eastern. You might even be able to doubleheader that Saturday. You might be able to get Missouri-Boston College early and then go catch the Yankees uh, and the Red Sox in the late afternoon if that's when they have a first pitch. But conference-wise, you got some interesting matchups in that early window as well. You talk about crossroads moments, and – It's kind of strange to say that considering that we're not even two years removed from a national championship season for the LSU Tigers. But this game in Starkville kind of has that feeling to it for Ed Orgeron uh, as as we look at at this one between Mike Leach, who, of course, last year got the big win over LSU on the road, uh, and Ed Orgeron. What are you thinking here, Brent? Well, this is almost a toss-up to some degree. Now, LSU leads the nation in sacks and tackles for loss, which will certainly help them. And uh, fortunately for them, uh, they are getting uh, some guys back, even though, unfortunately, Andre Anthony uh, is going for the year, six-year senior uh, defensive end. Uh, Mason Smith is supposed to be replacing him. Jay Ward who's a safety is coming back. Uh, so they're hoping he, he will get healthy. This is Trev. This is just so LSU. John Emery, who uh, uh, we know has been suspended because of what they call academic in- ineligibility. Uh, he's lawyered up with that too. Practicing with the team. O says that he's going to play if he's cleared. So, so keep that in mind, and they may need him because I, I have never seen this 
in all of our years of covering the SEC that, Trav, there, there are 130 teams, as you know, in Division One, and rushing the ball. LSU is 120. Mississippi State is 130. <laughs> well, when you throw it 67 times yeah, in a game, yeah. you're probably going to be somewhere down in the 120s at least in rushing offense. But, no, that's very interesting to note where LSU is concerned. And if I told you that before the season, you would probably have some serious, serious really? concerns for this LSU team, even with Max Johnson back at quarterback, even with Kayshawn Butte and what he's able to do outside that just doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it from the LSU perspective. Uh, and they, th- this is a crossroads game for them. Uh, and I, I, I know you picked up on this. Will Rogers in the Mississippi State offense have done a really good job in the short to intermediate passing game. And, and Trev, uh, LSU people very confident about Elias Ricks and Derek Stanley protecting the deep threats, but where LSU struggled defensively in the passing game is in the short to intermediate routes. Uh, Boy, that can come back to haunt them on Saturday. Well, O loves to play the man coverage. He does. You saw UCLA torch it on occasion in that season opener, and that's what Mississippi State did a year ago in Baton Rouge. They absolutely killed killed LSU with some of the crossing routes and some of the switches and even throwing it to the back a good bit like Mike Leach likes to do. You try to man up that offense for 60 minutes, there's a good chance you're going to have some problems. So I'll be interested as much as anything to see if LSU compromises at least a little bit in terms of its preference of style of defense because man coverage just did not work under Bo Pelini in this matchup a year ago. Georgia heads to Vanderbilt for a feel-good weekend. It's one of those feel-good weekends where you'll see Georgia or Florida or one of the visiting fan bases, Alabama, on the rare occasion that it makes the trip to the West End. Just overtake, just overtake the West End. The, The hotels, the restaurants, even the stadium on Saturday will be full of red and black. A Home game in Nashville, essentially, for the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, no doubt. they. In the last three meetings in Nashville, Georgia's averaged winning by 24 points. Not so good news for the Dogs. Jalen Kimber, who is a sophomore cornerback, season-ending surgery that's going on, uh, which further develops that secondary. Now, they did a lot of good things to shore it up, and speaking of that dog defense, we talked a lot about the offense earlier in the week, but allowed only 23 points, forced six turnovers, and recorded 13 sacks. Those Trav, those dog fans wondering before the year began, uh, will the dogs have any more sacks than they did last year? Yeah, that's been sort of a real mystery with Georgia, given the level at which it has recruited Across the board, really. But when you talk about its front seven and just the monsters, both interior and on the edge, that Kirby Smart's been able to attract to to Athens, Georgia, why they haven't been a far more prolific pass-rushing team than they have been, perhaps uh, they're taking that step finally under Kirby Smart. We get into the 3.30 window, the CBS 
SEC game of the week. Texas A&M and Arkansas getting together. This has been a series, right, that Texas A&M oh, yeah. has very much held the hammer. This was one, if you want to talk about the Brett Bielema era in sort of a nutshell, I think this series sort of summed it up. And if you're a line of scrimmage fan, Brent, we got one for you. CBS for the second straight week going from what you saw with Florida and Alabama last Saturday and the absolute bloodletting it was in the trenches in that one to what you're going to see from A&M in Arkansas this time around. You're talking about a couple of teams that averaged north of 180 yards on the ground. Arkansas at 282.3 on the ground coming into this one, Brent. Uh, well, and A&M, as you mentioned, has owned the series. They've won nine straight. But this is a strange series in the travel. Bizarre endings that have happened. Uh, that three in a row and five of the last six have been decided by seven or fewer points. And also, this goes back to the Bielema era. And how excited would Arkansas fans be about this? Trav, their first CBS game since 2017. Wow. That is, uh, that's quite a time between appearances. No doubt about that, Brent. And should be a good one. Absolutely. I think Arkansas, just a slight underdog in this one. Again, with Texas A&M, you go back to the quarterback uh, position with Zach Calzada uh, behind center these days and Haynes King out and, you know, how much can the Aggies get out of Isaiah Spiller, Anaya Smith, uh, you know, also Devon A-Chain, a running back that certainly has the big play ability. I think in this one, something to keep an eye on, Brent, just scrimmage yards for the backs. Sure. When you look at Traylon Smith, you know, Arkansas, I was looking at it, has one, two, three, four, six players averaging more than five yards per carry to this point of the season. So, we hear so much, we know so much about that Texas A&M defense. Uh, it has an opportunity, once again, to really flex its muscle against an Arkansas offense that we know is going to lean heavily on that ground game on Saturday afternoon. Georgia State at Auburn, that is a 4 p.m. Eastern kickoff on Saturday afternoon. Auburn catching a bit of a break in the schedule here early when you look at three of the first four games, but... I guess you could say it's the calm before the storm when you because when you talk about ranked opponents going into this season anyway, a lot of meat on the bone for Auburn coming up here in the not too distant future. Well, and as evidence with that, LSU, Georgia, and Arkansas before they have a week off, and then they've got Ole Miss and A and M. My goodness, and and uh, Arkansas has got something similar too. So uh, there's absolutely no question about that. Now Georgia State's allowed 577 rushing yards through three games. Trav, do you think that uh, old Tank Bigsby uh, at this point in that? Uh, and Jarquez Hunter, that tremendous freshman, uh, might that be licking their chops for this game? Absolutely. Another opportunity to put up some big numbers, both on the ground and hopefully continue to develop the passing game with Bo Nix and that new approach from Brian Harson and offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. Big one in the SEC East on Saturday night from Gainesville, Florida. Back-to-back showcase-type games for the Gators at home. As Tennessee comes calling 
And year one under Josh Heupel, Tennessee, we talk about psyche and sort of trips to the spa. That was the balls last weekend in a blowout win over Tennessee Tech. It gets real once again for the visiting balls. And again, in a series that when you talk about domination, this is tough for Tennessee fans. has to be when you talk yes. about what Florida yes. has done in this series, along with what Alabama has done in the series with Tennessee. Uh, winning 14 in a row over the balls, it's been a rough decade and a half or so for big orange country. Losing 15 of 16 in the series, uh, they have not won in the swamp since 2003 to go along with that. Uh, and again, I'm curious, Trav, what Josh Heupel does. I mean, I, I, I think he's going to probably play both quarterbacks, but at some point, with Joe Milton struggles, and I know he's been hurt uh, a little bit too, uh, it, that uh, he he may have to settle on one of them. But look, that they've got a lot more problem than just rotating quarterbacks at this point. Uh, one thing that really got my attention, Trav, uh, uh, they've played three games: Bowling Green, Pitt, and Tennessee Tech. That Tennessee offensive line already allowed nine sacks. Yeah, it's been a problem, and you sort of anticipated it given the attrition from the Jeremy Pruitt era into Josh Heupel's first season with the balls. You could see multiple quarterbacks for both teams, right? Maybe Anthony Richardson for the Gators is back this week coming off the hamstring issue that kept him out of the matchup with Florida last Saturday. Yeah, and he he's supposed to be in really pretty good shape. Now, Mullen said uh, as of this morning that it may be somewhat similar to last week that is kind of a game-time uh, decision. But uh, again, Trev, I, I'm just wondering, uh, I, I think what may make up his mind is that trip to Lexington next week that may be a little bit more dicey than Gator fans thought at the beginning of the year. Yeah, maybe a little more cautious with Richardson this week because you're right. When you go to Kentucky, this is crazy saying this, right? Who would have thought this (laughs) 10 or 15 years ago? Maybe you limit a guy against Tennessee so you make sure he's good to go against Kentucky. That's That's bizarro world, just that statement in and of itself, Brent. Well, but – I give Mark Stoops a lot of credit that, A, that's what he's done with that program. And, and B, Trav, as you know, uh, in no way, shape, or form is Kentucky intimidated by Florida anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, it's like the head coaching position at Tennessee since about 2008 has yeah. essentially become a ride at, at Dollywood. You know, just about anybody can jump on board as if you got a ticket. That's been the... That's been the the sort of movement that we've seen at the head coaching spot in Knoxville for far too many years now. We talk about Kentucky, and we talk about South Carolina, another Eastern Division matchup set for Saturday night, Brent. Shane Beamer, very transparent in his comments following the Gamecocks' blowout loss in (laughs) Athens last Saturday when asked about what made the Georgia defense so dominant and so difficult to deal with. He got pretty specific where the recruiting <laughs> rankings were concerned. Again, we appreciate, we love the honesty. I do, again, think there is a fine line where you don't want to get into throwing your own roster under the bus. But 
Uh, it was telling in and of itself, but the Gamecocks now have to bounce back. And this is where Shane Beamer, he's, he knows the league for, uh, previously, but mm-hmm. uh, this is where the reality of his situation right now starts to really show up because even East Carolina two weeks ago was a four-quarter struggle for South Carolina. Then you go on the road to Georgia to face one of the top two or three teams in the country. Now you come back, and it doesn't get a whole lot easier with Kentucky coming to town. Kentucky, of course, much like Florida, anticipating that matchup one week from Saturday with the Gators in Lexington. I guess Mark Stoops got to be a little guarded for his team as well uh, in going into a matchup that it should win. Well, there are a couple of issues for Kentucky uh, that are worth bringing up. This early in the season, uh, that Kentucky offense already has given up eight turnovers, Trav. Uh, uh, That's way too many per game. And the Kentucky defense uh, on third down, allowing offenses to convert 45% of their tries. Now, Luke Doty actually is going to be playing and starting at quarterback uh, for South Carolina, their original starter. And unfortunately, Sherrod Green, one of their senior linebackers, is out for the year after a serious ankle injury. But uh, listen, if, you, if you've if you got a couple of issues on your team that you don't want, one would be offensive turnovers and the inability, and Nick Saban understands this too after last week, the inability to try to get off the field on third down for your defense. Yeah, those are some uh, critical factors, as Nick Saban likes to refer to them. And uh, that's also, as we've talked about in the past, folks get excited about that transfer portal where quarterbacks are concerned. And I get it. On occasion, you're able to mine that portal and really upgrade your situation. But typically, typically there are blemishes with quarterbacks in the portal. There's a reason why they are in the portal. Obviously, it has to do with, more often than not, playing time at their previous stop. But why was the playing time maybe not available for them there? Why did they not win on some of those competitions? Look, there are situations like Tuatanga Vailoa and Jalen Hurts every once in a while. But that's a one in ten. Nine out of ten times, it comes down to accuracy in the passing game and or a propensity to turn the football over. And that's not to say Will Levis isn't an upgrade for Kentucky because he is. He's an upgrade for Kentucky at the position. But again, there's a reason why. And Sean Clifford's a great player. We understand that or is off to a great start anyway. Uh, But but, uh, it's just always something to keep an eye on there when you consider the transfer portal in the quarterback position. Finally, on Saturday night, the Alabama Crimson Tide hosts what used to be the equivalent of sort of a stepbrother member of the Mm -hmm. Southeastern Conference. There was a time, Brent, USM, Southern Miss was on just about every SEC schedule, it seemed like. Absolutely. They they toured the SEC on an annual basis. And it wasn't a week to catch your breath when Southern Miss would roll around. Unfortunately for the Golden Eagles, that is the case right now. Will Hall in his first season in Hattiesburg, really trying to stabilize things after just a tumultuous COVID year in which, what, three different head coaches for USM last season. So Hall, a guy with deep 
roots and ties to the state of Mississippi, played high school football in Mississippi, played junior college football in Mississippi. Regionally, he's been at Tulane, he's been at Memphis, he's been at West Alabama. Looks to be maybe the guy Jeff Bauer once was at Southern Miss, a guy that'll be there for a while. It's going to take some patience. For Alabama this week, it's about recovery, isn't it? After that tough 60-minute game against Florida last Saturday, sort of like what it'll be for Florida with Tennessee and Gainesville this week. This is a this is an intangibles game, right? This is yes. where you find out about focus and energy and as Nick Saban has talked this week about the spirit of your team. I think that's what he's probably most interested in more than anything else, Brent. Yeah, he's been in a rather feisty mood this week. I think that would probably be an understatement. Bama's got a seven-game win streak over Southern Miss, won 16 of the last 17. But, Trev, I remember well, like you do too, when Brett Favre in that 1990 game, fresh from a – Walked car, out of a car accident. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Alabama. Yeah. And, Trev, if I remember right, had lost about what – 10 to 15 pounds. Yeah. Coming I think part of his intestines had to be removed yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. It still was able to, uh, to win that game. Something very unusual for Bama, uh, Alabama 11th in the league in rushing offense, 12th in rushing defense travel. There's a lot, many stories in in, uh, uh, plot lines of this game. One of my big questions is, and I'm curious what you what your gun on this is. Nick Saban said after the Florida game, we've got to play more players, only playing 38. If if my math is right, I think 18 on defense, 20 on offense, and uh, they're going to have to have all hands on deck certainly next week when Ole Miss comes to town. No doubt about it. Absolutely, I was a little surprised by that in the uh, in the Florida game, especially defensively. Sure that once you got into the early stages of the third quarter and you're looking out there and you're seeing a front seven for Alabama with hands on hips and the humidity is like 98%, it feels like it's a a, a rice steamer, like a rice-making machine inside the swamp last Saturday. I thought they would roll more guys in on that defensive front than they did, and perhaps even at inside linebacker, and that's understanding that Henry Toa and Christian Harris are your guys, but you have a capable third inside linebacker in Jalen Moody that we really didn't see until the final nope. snap of the game when he dropped Emory Jones with a nice open field tackle. So, yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise from last Saturday. I would think with Southern Miss on the other sideline this week, you'd be able to play twice as many folks if that's what you want to do. But you touched on it with the Alabama run game. Alabama right now averaging 3.96 yards per carry. Nick Saban, over the course of a season, has never had a team at Alabama average less than four yards per carry. And even then, you got to go back to his first team or two. The last 12 have all averaged 12, uh, five yards or more per carry. So they're a pretty good bit beyond that clip. I guess the good news, Brian Robinson is around 5.7 yards per carry. So it's some other guys at the position that they need to get going. And look, this isn't this isn't your big brother's Alabama offense either. No. When you look no. at rushing attempts per game, Alabama around 33 rushes per contest through three games. 
that's like 10th or 11th in the league. So it isn't the central focus of their offense that a lot of folks expected it to be in the preseason either, given the changes on offense. They're still, in terms of their approach anyway, Brent, a lot like the last two or three or four offenses we've seen from the Crimson Tide. Very much. Uh, I, I was frankly surprised Trey Sanders did not play in, in the game. Now, I'm glad I wasn't the one asking Saban that question uh, about whether or not it, that he was going to play. But, Trev, that, that the other thing uh, that just simply cannot be ignored, Bama is 121 and nationally in penalties per game with 9.3, and that, uh, that's something Saban wants to have cut in half immediately. Cleaned it up in special teams last week, so that was a positive. They had been even heavily penalized in the kicking game. They took care of some of that. Some of last week you can write off credit to Florida and the crowd noise. I mean, you had three false starts on right guard Emil Echior alone last Saturday, so that was definitely – in play, but no doubt they've got to clean up the, the, the pre-snap penalties on offense and then pass interference issues uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Josh Job hit with a couple more of them. Uh, he seems to attract the attention of SEC officials uh, on a week-to-week basis. So certainly some things the Crimson Tide can clean up there as well. You know what time it is? It is time to check in with Rusty's home dogs. <laughs> And the SEC, who might have the sharpest teeth for the upcoming weekend, of course, Rusty, presented to you by here, here on uh, Second Helping by Heat Pizza Bar. Heat Pizza Bar, the next time you visit Tuscaloosa, right there in downtown Tuscaloosa. Heat Pizza Bar, the best pizza you're going to put in your mouth anywhere. That's right. I said it. <laughs> Chicago, New York, wherever. Detroit. They got nothing. They got nothing for Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa. At Government Plaza, Mississippi State getting two and a half at home against LSU. Rusty really likes, really likes the Bulldogs. Rusty, if you're wondering, was two and two last week on his home underdogs in college football. He's eight, three and one on the season. So just something to put in your back pocket, maybe, for the upcoming SEC weekend. Brent, anything else before we get out of here? I think one thing we'll keep our eye on, and it would be the uh, college football playoff committee uh, will be meeting again next week. Things are still up in the air. Uh, the commissioners are not ready to put their stamp uh, on uh, where this is going. But at the same time, we, we think it's going to be 12-8. Eight has been mentioned uh, as a possibility. Travis, I, and, and certainly for what we do on our podcast, I still think that ultimate decision uh, will come down to what Greg Sankey wants to do. Well, you're sure about that? I mean, <laughs> doesn't a, a call have to be made to Chicago and the mighty, mighty Big Ten? Nothing's official, Brent, until we hear from our friends oh, from yeah. the Midwest. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Well, Brent, as always, a lot of fun. Look forward to another weekend of SEC action. Look forward to coming back early next week with a review of all the action. And again, you can catch Second Helping anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. That's right. Anywhere you consume podcasts, you're going to find Second Helping 
And if you wouldn't mind, how about a subscription to Second Helping? Free, simple as a couple of clicks. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it as well. Thanks again, Brent. My, Trey, my pleasure. And just to tease these next next two weeks in Oof. the SEC, uh, Trey, would it be an understatement to say they will determine how the year goes? Defining, defining the adjective that comes to mind when I think about these next couple of three weeks in the SEC. For Brent Peer, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on Second Helping, your top choice. For podcast, where the top league and the collegiate athletics is concerned, of course, that league being the SEC. So long, everybody.